Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to talk about Shabbos and try to try to understand it in a uh, in just sort of like a, a, a beautiful, expansive way. And um, these thoughts are coming from the Maor of Shemesh, one of the great Hasidic masters. And let's uh, let, let's see what he has to say because he he builds a model for us that um, I think is is very 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 helpful. So. So let's, um, let's just sort of introduce this idea with some basic ideas about Shabbos, and then you'll hear something, I think, very, very beautiful. So we, we have to always remember that Shabbos itself is a separate creation. Shabbos is made out of a different time-space fabric, if you will, than the first six days of the week. So the way I always visualize it is if you imagine a carpet rolling out, that's the first six days. But the seventh day of creation, that's made out of something completely different. That's Shabbos. So that's very, very important to understand because if you just think that Shabbos is like just another day that has a lot of rules associated with it, then you're kind of like, you're not even at, at, on the first rung of the ladder. You have to understand that you're actually entering into a completely different brand new environment. Okay, so that's, that's, that's number one. So, so I heard Rabbi Chaim Sitron say many years ago, in a very sort of compelling, amazing thought, um, which is that God is the most hidden in this dimension that we exist in right now. God is the most hidden he can possibly be, whereas if you seek him out, you can still find him. Meaning to say, if God were any more hidden than he is right now, you'd never find him whatsoever. But he's just accessible enough that if you actually look, you can find him. So that, that in itself is, is very amazing, and that's going to that's gonna factor in as well. Okay. So now, the, our rabbis teach something, which, is, uh, which I always find this teaching so exciting, because basically, this was from thousands of years ago, and here you'll see, when you hear this teaching from the rabbis, you'll hear the Big Bang Theory being spelled out. So, so it's, it's our understanding of the creation of the, of the uh, universe, that God took a very small piece of matter, interestingly, from the foundation stone of the Holy Temple, okay? He took this one little particle of matter and that he expanded it out and expanded it out and expanded it out until he said the word, this divine name, Shaddai, which means enough. And then at that point, the universe stopped expanding, okay? Now, interestingly, this is just a side note. This is an observation of mine, but, but, but it's kind of cool. So, if you look at a mezuzah, every mezuzah on a doorpost has this particular name of God on it. Shindalit Yud, Shaddai. Or, maybe it just has the letter Shin on it, but that Shin stands for this divine name. So, if you think about it, that name means enough. That's the name that God said when he stopped expanding the universe. Where is your doorpost? It is at the outermost border of the room that you're in. <laughs> in other words, that's, that name is stopping the expansion of the room, if you will. So, so that's just a, an, an interesting correlation. So God said this name, and the universe stopped expanding. Okay, very good. So now the mayor of Hashemish asks a question. He says, when during the seven days of creation did God say that? At what point? 
And he gives a fascinating answer. He says that God said that at the end of the sixth day, right before the beginning of Shabbos, like at exactly at that moment where the sixth day ended and Shabbos was about to begin. Exactly at that juncture, God said enough. And then God creates Shabbos. All right, so now let's, 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 let's understand the implications of that because we're building a model here and it's, it's, it's very, very cool. So the idea is that the six days of the week are basically, um, that's, the, that's the material component of God. Whereas Shabbos is the soul of the world, if you will. Okay, so, so the first days of the week, that's sort of like the physicality of the universe, if you will. That's something that normally speaking, so to speak, covers over God. So that you can't necessarily see God. During the first six days of the week, you're also working very, very hard. You haven't got a lot of time, time to, to, to think clearly. Remember, as the Ramchal says, when, when Pharaoh wanted to keep us slaves after Moshe Rabbeinu shows up, the first thing that Pharaoh does when, when Moshe is trying to free the Jews is he says, I'm going to double their workload. In other words, the very first thing that, that the, the Yetzirah, if you will, the, the negative inclination tries to do is stop us from thinking and contemplating our existence. And why is there a world? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Right? If, 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 you can be, if you can be stopped from asking yourself these questions and exploring these questions, then the other side, so to speak, wins. So, so the first six days of the week represents that energy. And at a certain point, remember we said, God is as covered over in this world as he possibly can be, where if you seek him out, you can still find him. So at that critical moment, God says, Shaddai. This divine name, which means enough. And then God creates Shabbos. Now, just on a physical, on a physics level, it's very, very interesting because you have what you had before was this infinitely expanding universe on the more physical level, right? And God balances that out with an infinite spiritual component. In other words, so you've got you've got You've got the, the physical countered with the spiritual. The first days, six days of the week being the physical, Shabbos being the spiritual. And so you've got two infinite constructs balancing each other out. Okay. So now, let's go, let's go deeper. And, and I just want to make one thing clear, though. Which is that don't think... Don't think that Shabbos is therefore turning your back on the material and turning your back on the physical. Because that, that would be a misunderstanding of, of what God actually did by creating Shabbos. On Shabbos, everybody knows you get something called the Neshama Yesera, which means an extra soul. So like when you're like a little kid, you think you get a second soul. So that's, that's not what it is. So as, as Rashi explains it, what a Neshama Yasera, what the extra soul is, is it's an expansion of the soul that you have so that you can integrate more materialistic things into a spiritual context. So let me explain more clearly. There's all sorts of physicality associated with 
with Shabbos, including eating and drinking, right? But the idea is, is that you become more expansive in terms of your spiritual might so that you're able to do more physical things in a more spiritual way. So the reason why I'm making that point is I don't want people to misunderstand that it's sort of like six days of the week physical, seventh day of the week completely spiritual, nothing physical. That would be, that would be, that, that would be a misunderstanding. It's that you're able to do everything in a truly spiritual way, even physical things. Okay, just, just to understand. Okay. Now I want to tell you something what I think is something super cool. Okay? Remember we said God is as hidden as he possibly can be in this world, where if you seek him out, you can still find him. Now the rabbis, working with that principle, say something completely way out. You ready for this? That one of the things that God did before creation stopped was he stopped, you ready for this? He stopped demons from inhabiting a body. He stopped demons from becoming completely materialized. So you see, and we'll explain the whole concept of demons in a moment, um, you see from this that this same idea that if, if demons, so to speak, existed in, 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 in body form, that that would have basically, um, you know, just consolidated materiality and negativity in such a strong way that it would have been this, like, um, just this knockout punch to anyone who wanted to try to break through this world and, and see God, right? By the way, let's always keep in mind the following, which is that God exists in this world 100% to the extent that he exists in the highest heavens. It's just that he's more covered over and more obscured. But don't think that God is any less absent in this dimension that we live in than the highest, highest heavens. Very, very important to always keep in mind. Okay. So what do we, first of all, what do we mean by, by when we use a word like demons? Like this is a very sort of like, wow, you know. By the way, a, a great teaching. The, um, you know, the Rambam, Maimonides, is considered our, sort of like our, our, our classic greatest rationalist, right? By the way, I always like to throw this in, which is that Maimonides, our greatest rationalist, said these words, that one has to walk around lovesick with God, right? This is our greatest rationalist, okay? So just in case anyone thinks that, um, you know something, I'm more of a rational guy, which means that there's no... There's no real place for my emotions within my life and in terms of my service of God. You have to understand that that's a completely non-Jewish concept across the board. Across the board. Everyone has to take their emotions and to work them into a framework in their life where they're part of their overall portfolio, so to speak. You have to bring your whole self to God, which includes your emotions. That's why Hasidus is so fantastic I'm biased, but it, because Hasidus <laughs> is totally addressing your emotions as well as your intellect, right? You, you can sing and you can dance and you can be enthusiastic and everything like that. Very, very important because otherwise you're just sort of like repressing your own emotionality. Often, often. Okay. So what does Maimonides say? While Maimonides does say you have to be lovesick with God, he also says demons, no, 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 no. 
demons don't exist. Okay, so now the Kutzka Rebbe says something fantastic, which is, he says, he says that, you ready for this? When the Rambam, when Maimonides wrote these words, demons don't exist, out of respect to the greatness of the Rambam, all the demons left the room. <laughs> so that, so that, God forbid, the, the Rambam would have written anything false. <laughs> Right? Out of respect to the Rambam's greatness, they all left the room. Okay. So, so let's get more practical. What, what do we mean by a demon? Okay, so before we, before we um, go any further, just as a caveat, as a, as a warning, just conceptually, all of us has to understand there is only one power in the world. When we say, Shema Yisrael, Shema Lokeinu, Shema Echad, the reason why that, that's such a sort of like an encapsulation of Jewish thought is because it includes this idea that God is one, meaning to say there is only one power. We don't believe our God is greater than your God. We believe there is no other God. No other God exists. It's not like ours is stronger and ours can beat you up. That's not, that's not what it is. There is no other power in the world except Hashem, period, end. That's Judaism. Okay. So when we talk about things like demons or something like that, you have to understand that these are all sort of subsets, and these are things that you have to learn more about and things like that if you're interested, but not to think that there's, a, there's good and there's an equally strong counterbalance, which is evil, and good and evil are wrestling it out, and who's going to win? I don't know. Not Judaism. Not Judaism. Okay. So, but nonetheless, everybody knows there is such a thing as negativity in the world. Okay, so, so it says in Pirkei Avos that when you do a mitzvah, you create an angel, and when you do something not so good, you create this negative force, like a demon, right? So what, what is that? What, what, what is that? So I, I, to me, I want to just give you an example where you'll understand that this is something that's very rational and very real, and just... So how can we experience this idea in the here and now? So it goes like this. You see, when you hug someone, I always like to give that example because it's just, I think we've all um, experienced this. You can feel like a very positive energy leaving your body. It's very palpable. And so that creates an angel. In other words, that, that energy that leaves your body um, remains real in this world. And, that's, and, and that happens when you do a mitzvah also. You might be less aware of the energy leaving your body at that moment. Um, but it's happening. And so, so and, and there's a, you know, there's a direct correlation in terms of the, like all angels and from the other side, this is also true. They're not created all equal. They all have, um, they all have a presence which reflects the energy that went into creating them. So, so when you do a very great, great mitzvah, you create a very big angel. So with this in mind, we can understand, um, I think I heard it in the name of the Chida, something uh, just exalted, an exalted understanding of the, the, the text of the Torah. When Avraham Avinu was by the Akedah, was by the binding of Yitzchak, he's about to complete the act, and God tells him, you know, stop. And, and God speaks to an angel, and the angel says the following. He says, now I know, now I can see, um, now I know that you are a God-fearing person. So on the simplest um, level, 
we understand that, like, because Avram was ready to do this act. So now, now, now the angel sees, or now God sees that, that Abraham is God-fearing. Okay, that's, that's good on, in its simplicity. But on a deeper level, I heard that what happened was, what does it mean now I see? Because the angel looked at himself and saw this exalted, mighty, like, epic creation that was himself. The angel said, now I see, in looking at myself, that you are God-fearing. In other words, now I see the enormous, enormous service and love and fear and just total dveikaskai, total connection to God that has been manifest right now here. And how do I see it? How do I know? Because you've created this thing that I am right now, and I'm looking at myself, and now I see your greatness. You know? So, so it's also true... Um, on the other side, so if a person just yells, you can feel that negative energy leaving. And, and, and these things continue. The rabbis, the rabbis teach that these forces, these energies that leave ourselves, continue to inhabit the world, you know, as discrete entities. And of course, through tshuva, if a person wants to make amends or whatever it is and rectify past behavior, they can transform negative in, negativity into positivity. And um, or make ever more positivity, whatever it is. These things, these energies which exist independent of the person now are still in play. So a person still has access to them, but they also either lighten the world or darken the world. So with this in mind, with this in mind, let's look at the actual word for demon. What does it mean that God sort of like stopped it from inhabiting a body? Now remember, this name Shaddai means enough. That's the name that sort of like ended the physical universe. And so that name, so the name for demons is Shadim. So what's so interesting about that is it's spelled Shindalud Yud Mem. In other words, Shindalud Yud, that's the divine name which ends things. So here you see that that name which ended demons from becoming completely physicalized, that name enough sort of like cut off the formation of the Shadim because you never get to that letter Mem. So in other words, the demons never became incorporated into the fabric of reality in terms of the physicality of reality, which would have stopped the world from becoming too material in order for us to break through to the spiritual. And I, I shared this thought with a couple of people, and they pointed out that that last letter, which sort of like never enters into the essence of reality, it enters into the spelling of the name, you know, just on a grammatical level, but it doesn't enter into as a force, which is part of the fabric of creation, that final mem. The final mem is drawn as a box. And you know, it's hard to get out of a box. It's like a trap. It's closed on all four sides. So that idea of being closed on all four sides never enters into the world. In other words, that negativity never becomes rooted in this sort of like this place where we're trapped. Everything is always open-ended. And remember, it says in Gomorrah and Menachos that God created this world, this realm we live in, with the letter He, right? The letter He is not the letter Mem. So the letter He has sort of like a downside to it and an upside to it. The downside to it is you can fall out the bottom. The upside to it, and this is the rabbi speaking, is that there's a little hole between the ceiling and the, and the line which creates the, uh, the leg of the He. And through that hole, if you fall out from the bottom, you can still enter through that portal in the top. Okay? So, so it's, it's, a He is not a final myth. Right? So that's this idea that God sort of like kept creation open-ended in a way that 
we could always reach out to him. Okay, so so let's get back to Shabbos, to to understanding Shabbos on a deeper level. So, so I there's a idea, there's an idea that just kind of like, I mean, this is this this gets way out even for me, you know, but it kind of came to me, so I I want to I want to share it with you. So, so you see, everybody knows that. And the Ramban brings it in his introduction to, to Torah. Um, that the Torah is actually black fire on white fire. So, so no one should think that, that the Torah is like, a, like a, a, a scroll and that it's just like ink on a parchment. No one should, should think that. It's black fire on white fire. Meaning to say, what is, the, what is black fire? Black fire is those aspects of reality which are visible. Which you can which you can see with your eyes, white fire are the spiritual realms that which exists but you is beyond your comprehension. You can't you can't actually see it, but it's 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 still one thousand percent there. So this is black fire and white fire. This is the most um, elemental breakdown in terms of reality from the experiential level. Okay, so you know we spent so much time talking about the first letter of the Torah. And that's like the headquarters of the entire Torah is the first letter of the Torah. The Bays of Breshis, right? The Bays, which, which in, in Gamatria is the number two. Um, and, and it symbolizes heaven and earth. It symbolizes male and female. It symbolizes the written law and the oral law. It represents the Yetzir Hara and the Yetzir Tov. It's, it's, it's just, and, and on, the even, on an even deeper level, it represents free choice because you can do this or you can do that. In other words, incorporated into why, why is God obscuring his reality in this world to begin with? Why? Why? Because if all there was was God, if all you saw was God, you would not have free choice. Angels do not have free choice. 
So the whole glory of a human being is free choice that they can choose. But in order to choose, that necessitates that God should be somewhat obscured in this world. So that's also the whole nature of reality and the human condition is all captured in the first letter of the Torah itself. Okay, so now that we've given covet to the base of Breshis, I, I want to say really what I want to say, which is that I want to say that there is a letter which is precedes the letter of the base of Breshis, which is a white fire olive. So, so that's already like not visible with the eye. But everybody knows that Aleph is the number one, and that if you break down the letter Aleph, it's actually three letters. It's two yuds and a vav, which add up to 26, which is the gematria, the numerical equivalent of yudke vavke, the name of God. So God is one, and the, name, the, the letter Aleph expresses his oneness. And we know that before the world was created, before the Beis of Breshis, before the world was created, all there was was God. All there was was God. So symbolically speaking, this is, this is already the, the Aleph, preceded the base, right? And, um, but it's the white fire Aleph. Why? Because it's beyond, 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 beyond. And of course, everybody knows that God has no form and no body. He creates forms, he creates bodies. So God is not like one magical Aleph. No, this is all just so that we can wrap our minds around concepts. But don't get caught up in the visualization because God is, is, is beyond any form whatsoever. Okay, so this is the white fire Aleph, which precedes the black fire Aleph, a base, a black fire base of Breshis. Okay, so with this in mind, with this in mind, let's, let's say the following. You see... See, Shabbos is the soul of the world. Not only is Shabbos the soul of the world. See, what happened on Shabbos was God put a soul into the world. He took the materiality of the first six days of creation, and so to speak, he put the white fire olive into the world. He put, he put, he put spirituality into the world. And we know that we have a, a very important um, foundational idea in, in Torah, in Torah understanding, which is, it's, it's, we, it's a line in L'chadodi, which is, Sof which means that first in thought, last in deed. So the way I always, I always like to try to explain it a couple of ways, because once you get the idea, you see like, wow, okay, this is, this is what it is, you know? Nobody takes a family trip like this. Like, you pack up the bags of everybody and you get to the airport and you go, okay, now, where should we go? <laughs> no one does that. No one does that, okay? You, you first have an idea and then you execute the idea. That's how it's done. Or if you want to think of it on a, in another way. An architect, before the architect builds the house, first they have the finished product in their mind and then they set about to build it. That, that, that's how it works. That's how it is with God and this world as well. God had an idea for this world, and that was before the world was created. And now what's going on right now, what's going on right now in terms of all of our lives, is God is, has made us partners with him in terms of finishing off creation. See, this is the answer to the question that every single person in the world has, whether you can articulate it or not. 
if there is a God, why is the world so messed up? This is everybody's question. And the answer is, is because it's not done yet. That's what we're doing right now. We're finishing off this initial exalted vision of a perfected world with God. That's what's happening right now. Now, so you say, what was that first thought of God? What was that first thought that God had? And you know what the first thought that God had was? Shabbos. Because what is the last day, what is the last, what is the end of creation? Right? We say, right? The fir- first in thought, last in deed. Well, what was the last thing that was created? The last thing that was created was Shabbos. What is the messianic period called? That's called the Zman Hatikun, the, the era of completion, the era, the era that the whole thing was launched to begin with for. The messianic era is called Yom Shekulo Shabbos the day that will be all Shabbos. In other words, not just a 24-hour period, but a whole era of Shabbos. Okay? So now all of these things are setting up this idea of the white fire Aleph. Okay? So we see that the whole world was created for Shabbos, to get to Shabbos. Right? Shabbos can mean the seventh day, or if you want to go deeper, Shabbos is talking about the era of perfection. Okay? It's, it's working on a couple of different levels. All right. Now, there's an amazing, here's, here's where the thought begins. There, there's an interesting idea. It's one of sort of just the divine rules of understanding, um, being able to interpret the Torah. It's called gematria. And in gematria, you see the idea is like this. Gematria is basically assigning a, num- a numerical value to each of the letters. But don't think that it's so simple. Like, in, like for instance, other alphabets have gematria or what they'll call numerology. But the Torah version of it, because the letters of the Torah are divine, they're basically energy components. Because they're divine, every system that's going to deal with the letters is also divine. So it's, 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 not, it, it's, not, it's, it's not a system that you are familiar with from other sources. It's its own system, even though it's using numbers and letters. It's its own system. Don't make the mistake of equating them. Like, for instance, let me just give you a simple, the, the most simple example. So the first 10 letters, the first letter is 1, the second letter is 2, it goes up to 10. The 11th letter is, goes from 10 to 20. See, the 11th letter in other systems would be 11. Do you understand? The 12th letter goes from 20 to 30. So it obeys its own, its own system. So don't, 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 don't demean it or belittle it by just lumping it into a term that other systems of thought have. Because it's not that, even though it shares some of the same qualities to it. Now, in this divine system, because remember, if the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite, which it is, remember, the Torah is not a book. Anyone who thinks that the Torah is a book does not understand square one of what Judaism is about. The Torah is the divine energy that God created the world out of. It was his hopes for the world, his dreams for the world, that he then sculpted into the, the material universe, which is where we are right now. And then that became compacted into this thing that we call the Torah, right? The five books. But it's, it's a very exalted energy. It is the infinite compressed into the finite. Okay. So in, that means that it's got to be able to be understood on so many different levels. And it is. You have 
the cantillations. You have musical notes on it. So there's a music to it. You can, you can analyze it from the musical perspective. You can analyze it also from the mathematical perspective because it's just another level of understanding that has to be there if it is the infinite compressed into the finite, which it is. Okay. In this system called gematria, the number 702, 702, is equal to 703. In other words, the number 1 can always be added to any number, and it's considered the same number. Okay, you can philosophize about why, the oneness of God. You can, you can philosophize about what it is exactly. I heard one rabbi explain something very interesting, which is that if I were to show you four, four um, pieces of wood standing up in, in a box formation, four corners, and a board on top of it, right? You would look at it and say, that's a table, right? But it's not a table. It's arranged pieces of wood. Your mind looks at it, and the word table comes out of your mouth. In other words, in other words there's this extra step where the mind integrates everything that it, it sees, and then it comes out with this coherence. So that's how he wanted to explain the extra number one that's added to a word. In other words, it's the process of the mind sort of making sense out of the visual stimulation that it's been presented. So there are different, different ways to try to understand what is this. In, 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 in Hebrew, we call it gamatre im hakolel. That's the technical term for this, where you can add one. Okay. So, so that means Shabbos. Now let's go through the gamatre of Shabbos. It's shin, beis, tough. So shin is 300. Beis is 2. That's 302. Tough is 400. That's 702. So 702 is equal to 703. Right? So, bless you. So, I was thinking about that. So I thought, okay, so what's the gematria of 703? What are the letters 703? Right? Since Shabbos is the whole purpose of the world. Like, what's, what, what's going on there? And I thought, wow, that means that you're adding the Aleph, the letter Aleph, to Shabbos. And I thought, wow, but what letter Aleph are you adding to Shabbos? You're adding the white fire Aleph to Shabbos, right? And then I thought, what does that spell now? If you, if you have those four letters, and I thought, wow, if you rearrange those four letters, you know what it spells? Atbash. Now, Atbash is this awesome, this awesome system of um, letter exchange, which the Gomorrah gives us. And interestingly, it's in Masechta Shabbos, in the volume of Shabbos, on page Kofdalad. Kofdalad is in Atbash itself. The, the page that tells you about Atbash is on a page number which is in Atbash. Okay? So what is, what is Atbash? So you just have to kind of just try to hold this visual in your mind. There are 22 letters in the alphabet. So imagine you make two lines of 11 letters, one line on top of the other line. Okay? So that's two lines of letters. And the idea is that, is that you do it in sort of a horseshoe shape so that, it's, it's so that the last letter of the, uh, of the alphabet, of the olive base, would be underneath the first letter of the olive base. And the second letter of the olive base, underneath that would be the second to last letter of the olive base, right? So if you do it like that, then underneath the olive is a tuff, 
And if you wanted to make a word out of that, it would be at. And what's the second grouping? Bays would be on top of the letter shin, which is the second to last letter. That would spell bosh. So it's at bosh. So that's the shorthand for this system. So now, for instance, if you wanted to apply that, you could take a word and you could knock out the letter Aleph from that word and substitute it with the letter Tuf. Or you could knock out the letter Bays from a word and you could substitute it with the letter Shin. Because whatever the corresponding letter above it or below it, you can insert that corresponding letter into a word or you could do the whole word in Atbash and everything like that. So, so, so there you go. So, so isn't it interesting that when we take the letter, the word Shabbos, Shabbos 702 is equal to 703, which is adding this white fire Aleph to the system, right? Because that's the soul of the world. That's what Shabbos does. It adds that white fire Aleph to the world. It gives the whole material universe a soul. But it also spells out the word, if you rearrange it now with this letter Aleph, the word Atbash. So what does that mean? Like, like That's like way out. What does it mean that Shabbos means Atbash? Or becomes the word Atbash. So I want to suggest the following, which is, you're all prepared for this up because we just said it. Atbash means that you're correlating the beginning with the end. Right? The end and the beginning become interchangeable. What did we say? At the beginning of creation, at the beginning of creation, before God created the world, what did he have in mind? The end. Shabbat. The end. That's Atbash. That's Shabbos. It's the beginning and the end at the same time. Right? So, everybody needs Shabbos. Everybody. You, not, not everyone. You must keep Shabbos. No, no, no. We're taking this from a different angle. You need Shabbos. You need Shabbos. You need Shabbos like you need oxygen. You know, I heard Rabbi Green say one time, you know, a guest shows up at your house and it's sort of like, oh, you know, you know, thanks for having me or whatever it is. Let's say it's someone who's never been to a Shabbos table or, you know, isn't completely, you know, there yet, you know, and it's sort of like, uh, they're like, hey, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, nice for you to have me. So Rabbi Green says, that's, that's what their mouth is saying. You know what their soul is saying? Let me in! <laughs> Come into the Shabbos table! <laughs> Make it ish! <laughs> you know, a person is like so casual. Yeah, maybe yes, maybe no, I don't know. Let's see what my schedule is. Meanwhile, the soul is like, do it already! <laughs> it's, it's a whole, this is the, 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 the white fire Olive talking, right? This is the white fire Aleph, which is like, it just, it's blazing. It's blazing. It's blazing. Now, I'll tell you something mind-blowing. And um, you can look it up. I'm going to give the date right now because who knows, maybe someone will be listening to this at another time. So, what is it? It's 2017. That much I know. <laughs> and it's, uh, it says Sunday, March 26th. So, if you check the current issue, not that I read this magazine, but it was sent to me. If you check the current issue of Vogue magazine, 
of all things, oh, of all things, yes. Vogue magazine, and I'm paraphrasing, but I'm close. The headline of the article is, Why You Should Host a Shabbat Dinner and How to Do It. <laughs> this is the current issue of Vogue oh, magazine. Wow. So I gave a speech for some uh, college students from England a number of years ago. And someone from the back raised her hand and she said very, very politely, you know, um, you're speaking about Shabbos and, uh, you know, that, that may have been, you know, with all due respect, that might be nice for your generation, but my generation doesn't need it. And, and it's sort of like, I, I said this to her back then and I watched as these words have become truer and truer and truer and truer. You need it more than anyone. You need it more than anyone. The, the effect, and I know I'm not saying anything new now, and I'm not getting up on a soapbox, because you already know what I'm about to say is true. The extent to which we are tyrannized by social media, by our phone addictions, and our, you know, our addictions to every other gadget, and it's on the level of addiction. It's, it is on the level of clinical addiction. Um, is so massive is so massive that the idea for one 25-hour period each week to be able to detox and to unplug is divine, is divine. We're literally getting ourselves back. You know, one of the things that, that is very strong, and it always seems very abstract, but we can just make it very plain and clear, especially as Pesach is coming up, we remember getting out of Egypt on on Shabbos, every Shabbos. I know we don't talk about it that much, and it seems like a kind of like a kind of a bizarre connection, but nonetheless, the idea of Shabbos and leaving Egypt are very, very strongly uh, connected, and it's in the Kiddush, and it's all over the prayers, and it's when we put it in such a clear way right now, it's the connection becomes obvious that on Shabbos you're able to leave your Egypt, you're able to leave all of your Egypts. It's just it's just clear as day, right? So, so yeah, you know, I just sort of end with a a little bit of an advertisement, I guess, which is I heard from Rip Shlomo and he he sings it so beautifully. Um, in the name of the Carlina Rebbe, he says. The Carlina Rebbe says, I know where I can get fish for Shabbos, and I know where I can get soup for Shabbos, but where can I get Shabbos for Shabbos? Right? Right? So, you know, um, um, everyone should go to Yerushalayim or Kodesh, which is the headquarters of Shabbos. Right? And if you can't, if you can't make it to Israel for whatever reason, come to the Happy Minion of Los Angeles. Right, because that's another place where, where Shabbos has staked out a domain, right, and somehow planted a flag in this world, um, where you can actually have Shabbos for Shabbos. Yeah. Now for some questions and answers. So, I don't necessarily have the skills for the Alephbet, little Alephbash, little Demetria, but. When you said it, I, I kind of had a flow c c come through me, and uh, you were, you, the Aleph Bet, the last reverse of it is, what do you say, tough and shin, right? 
Is that how you say the, the last? Are you talking two? about the last two letters? Yes. Yeah, are tough and then shin. Yeah. So when you were talking yeah. Shabbos, that's also the last. Uh, there's the there's the base and the tough in the, in the end, right? But it also starts with the shin. Okay. Well, okay. So you have Breshit. This is what I was thinking. Yeah. Which has the base and has then ends with the shin and the tough. Yeah. Right. So there has their beginning after the. So you're saying Breshis ends with the two letters Atbash as well. R- right. Beautiful. Awesome. 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 Olive and olive bays. In other words, the end. While you were speaking, yeah. Awesome. 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 You're following, so then. Uh, yeah. So the breishit yeah. ends with that. Yes. Awesome. And begins. And that's Shabbos. Right. And, and that becomes Shabbos. Shabbos. So we, yeah. we, you were connecting you were awesome. Breshit awesome. with Shabbos, awesome. and it just was going in my head. Awesome, because that you're you're. I I have had the beginning of that thought another 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 time. Which is basically okay. So I heard this um, from uh, I saw it written from Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, Olav yeah. Shalom. He was one of our greatest rabbis, and he just left the world within I think the month. Yeah. And um, he he wrote. He wrote that the philosophy of Akbash, okay, so is so. What's this idea that you're taking the first letter and exchanging it with the last letter, okay? What what is that? And you're taking the second letter and exchanging it with the second to last letter, and the third letter with the third to last letter. What is the what is the concept behind that? So he says that that the way a word is normally written. That would be on the level of revelation. But he says, like, to give an example, let's say I'm giving you directions to a place. Until I finish speaking and I tell you that you take a right on El Camino and it's the third house on the left. Until I get to the end That's of where I grew up. Until <laughs> until is it is it El Camino? Yeah, yeah, okay, so until <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Right. Okay. No, no, second, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> so, so, well, yeah, but Ima Kolel, you can add one. So, so, so I, until, until, until the speaker finishes speaking, the revelation is not complete. Do, do you understand? You have to get to the end. Like, or if I tell you a, a, a recipe, until I get to the end of the recipe, the last ingredient... The, the revelation is not complete. You understand? Okay. Then, once the revelation is complete, the process of perception begins. So, in other words, there's two stages to communication. There's revelation, you get the thought out, and then once the thought is out, the act of perception on the act of the listener begins, and they can then integrate what it is that you've said. Okay? This is Rabbi Moshe Shapiro explaining. So, what is atbash? What's the idea that basically you're exchanging the beginning with the end. So, the way Atbash works is, once you get to the end, that's the end of the thought, that's the end of revelation, then you can kick into the beginning. You can kick into the beginning of understanding what happens. So, so that's why Taf, which is the last letter, can be, can be substituted with the letter Aleph. Because once I get to the end, that's Taf, then I can begin to understand what the speaker was saying. That's the Aleph. So, so that's, that's, the, that's the philosophy, so to speak, of how Atbash works. 
So now here's the thought that I had had before you, you had said what you said, which is great. Which is that the whole, and the Zohar says this, the whole Torah can be put into the word breishis in the beginning or with beginnings, right? The whole Torah can be put into the first word of the Torah, right? That's worlds within worlds, microcosms within microcosms, okay? So it all fits into breishis. So breishis ends with the letter taf, meaning the, the process of creation. Let's look at breishis as like a, just as though that symbolizes the beginning all the way to the end, right? Like that, that's the whole of it. If it, the whole Torah can be put into the word breishis, that means it contains the entirety of the Torah. So once you get to the last letter of breishis, it should be the letter tough, which is the last letter, right? Because it's a complete unit. So, so I wanted to say the following, which is that when creation becomes complete, when Mashiach comes, when everything already plays out, that's when the speaker has finished speaking. That's when God, so to speak, has finished revealing what this world is. And that's when the world all of a sudden substitutes the tough of Breshis for Aleph. Because all of a sudden we understand the Aleph. We understand what God had in mind the entire time. Because in a story, you don't know. It's a, it twists this way. It turns that way. Where is it going? But at the end, you know what the story is. Then you can begin to understand what's going on. So the tough of Breshis turns into the Aleph of understanding God. You understand what's going on. So now what you're saying, which is awesome, is take the last two letters of Breshis, right? Which is Shin and Tuf. And let's incorporate the Adbash for those. And you get Aleph and Bez. And all of a sudden, the last two letters of Shabbos, or the last two letters of Breshis of creation, turns into what again? Adbash. Because, and Shabbos Aleph. Right? Which is God putting the soul into the world and having Shabbos in mind from the beginning and it becomes revealed at the end because the end of Breshis is the day that's all Shabbos. Okay, so David, when you were talking about the Atbash, this is what came to me. If you took a piece of paper and you wrote from left to right, Aleph Atav, and then you folded it immediately in half, you'd have a mirror image, right? The Aleph would meet the Tav, the Bet, etc. If you take the olive of the white fire and you put it before Shabbat, you understand that you're getting a mirror image of the next world in this world. I said it better a second ago, but when you experience, we know that Shabbat is a taste of the world to come. And we know that this world is a reflection of the world to come also, but it's most true on Shabbos. And you add that olive into the, shop, the word Shabbat, right? It's like the compression of time which is what folding that piece of paper is like. It's a mirror image of itself, al-fatah. Shabbos in this world is a taste of the world to come. It's a mirror image of what will happen when Mashiach comes. And in the meantime, we have it each week. It's a taste of the world to come. Awesome. I have yeah. kind of a... Uh, okay. okay. Great to see you. Great to see you. A little bit of a strange question, I think. I don't yeah. know if it's strange, but... Yeah. So we have all these um, ancient cultures, the Greek culture, the Romans, right. uh, that have created their own pantheon of gods. Yes. They used to. You have Norse mythology. Yes. We know everything that comes, everything comes from Hashem, so there's truth in everything. Right. Um, curious about how we go back and look at some of those stories. Some of those stories are very exciting and interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, like how, what, if from a Jewish lens, how to look at those stories and not be like, that's just complete nonsense and right. da da da. But there's like some kernels of truth in there. Yeah. And um, right. Yeah. So that's kind of my question. So okay. So I would say two things. One is that um, 
we should know that we're all God's children, right? And that 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 it is it's it's built into every human being to yearn for their Creator. And so everyone, this is part of the mission of of what it means to be Jewish is that we're supposed to be a light unto the nations. We're supposed to. We were privileged with getting the truth, basically. I mean, that's 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 what we say, and that it's our obligation to spread this consciousness to the world. And if you look, I know Ken Spira. He's um, a rabbi, and he's uh, um, affiliated with Asha Torah. He he has this this um, this this book called I think it's called Wor- World Perfect. And he talks about, in a very dynamic, interesting way, how the Jewish people have actually transformed world culture. So in other words, in terms of tracking the levels of success of to what extent have we gotten out the message to the world, you see fundamental changes in, in society that have actually taken place from the Jewish message. So, so that's good, but, but, but we're not done yet. And, and while we're still doing it, what happens to the sincere person who's in some corner of the world or in some society that hasn't heard this message yet, well, that they will naturally yearn, and they'll try to make sense out of what it means to be alive in this world themselves, and they'll create a, an understanding of what that means. So what I would say is the truth, so to speak, in these, in these alternate narratives, if you will, is the truth of yearning. But the actual information contained within it, there we have to make another distinction. And we say that, we have to say that um, the Torah teaches us in Pirkei Avos that the, that the nations have wisdom, but they don't have Torah. Okay, so there's this higher level of consciousness, which is the whole unity of everything coming together. That's Torah. And so when we, when we sort of like chart out our paths, we want to do it on the level of Torah. So we don't want to reject the insights that very smart, wise, God-created people have. But when it comes to sort of like the ultimate picture in terms of our relationship with God, we don't want to be clouded with what is still, from, from our perspective, looking at them, an incomplete understanding. In other words, you don't want to, you don't want to get an incom- integrate an incomplete set of directions into your game plan, which already has the beginning to the end. So there's, there's things to learn, there's an authenticity to their yearning, but in terms of adopting their philosophy to the extent that it alters our understanding of the big picture, that's where we make a distinction and we prize Torah over, over knowledge. Right, so if it's our job to bring light unto the nations, yes. isn't part of that to go into these stories and these mythologies and into, say, music, so modern music, not only in, and modern stories, and find the kernels of truth, find the kernels of Torah, and kind of elevate the focus on that, and allow like, the, the, the infrastructure to disintegrate to reveal the truth. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, for example, right. there's so much music on the radio, you know? Right. And you can hear, yeah. I think you can listen to music in many different ways. One way right. is just listen to whatever it is, right. you know, there, and just connect to it in a very base level. Another right. way is to is to kind of look for the, the points of light in it and maybe even modify it, even sing in a different way and suddenly you're elevating the, the right. music itself and you're taking something that's, that's, that exists, that's like that's this clipot that exists and right. you're, you're shattering the clipot, elevating the spark. Right. So, right. yeah, I'm wondering that, that that's also part of our, okay. our job. So, you know? Okay, so, so, so it's, a, it's a big question. 
it's a big question, and it's going to be it's going to be very um, different depending on who's who's um, who's experiencing it and at what stage in their life they're experiencing it. Okay, because because there's this you know there's this song called Who's Zooming Who, right? You got to know who's zooming who, right? So the 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 idea being that it could be that in exploring this sort of like um, this outer reality or what, however you want to d discuss it, that you are mining the gems from it, but it could be, so that's, but it could be zooming you, meaning to say that once one goes into it, they then become enwrapped within it. And so, and, and that it, it actually becomes a, a, a negative act that started with a sincere thought. So you have to understand it. You have to, you have to, you have to know what it is. I mean, what we have in Torah, what we have in terms of thousands of years of compiled divine wisdom, is a storehouse of food. Now, out in the fields, out in the darkness, there are still plants growing that can be brought into the warehouse, right? So, at at, at the initial stages, it's sort of like you don't have to hunt for the food anymore. You've arrived at the warehouse. Just go in the warehouse and eat. But it's sort of like, but wait a second, we want to continue to harvest from the outside to bring to the warehouse. Yeah, there's an authenticity to it, but, you know, there are you, you, there are wild animals out there. <laughs> and then people who go out there don't always get back to the warehouse. And, you know, so you have to, you have to understand who you are and how well you're armed and, and everything like that. So that's what I mean, that it's a highly individual thing. But certainly, the entire world exists within God. And certainly, there's a godly spark to absolutely everything in creation, right? But, you know, not everyone can swim a thousand or two thousand or three thousand feet below sea level. Most people will get crushed unless they're properly equipped.